Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Hello, my friends. Today, I am here with Eve Aboka. She is passionate about seeing diverse representation in the workplace. She uses her training in career and academic advising to inspire underrepresented groups to pursue opportunities in organizations that would previously not consider them. She also uses her knowledge in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging to teach employers the importance of diverse teams. She's graduating from a legal program this fall, and her mission is to influence policy change in employment matters federally and internationally to fairly serve trained immigrants coming to Canada to fill labor shortages. Hello, Eve. How are you? Hello, Hello, Lisa. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very, very well. Problem. It is always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Um... I'm excited for you to share what you know with the people listening, because I think what you're doing is so incredibly important. So can we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Okay. Born and raised in Kenya, moved to Canada in 2012, April. I don't know what I'm doing here, Lisa. It's so cool. (laughs) I need to go back. But then... Uh, I believe I'm here for a a purpose greater than myself. Uh, The calls have been bearable. It's Calgary cold. It's never bearable, but it is. I mean, a big change. How old were you when you got here? Oh, I was barely almost my my mid-20s. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not something like, you know how like kids are adaptable. When I brought my kids to the Congo, they were like red faced and sweating they just didn't know what to do with the heat, but they adapt. They adapt. Yes. It's not so easy to adapt as an adult to things. It's like not. That, right? It's not. You're very right. It's not that easy. But I love what you said there in that, like, okay, maybe our weather is not so wonderful here in Canada, but you are here for a bigger purpose. And tell us a little bit more about what that bigger purpose is. Yes. So when I got here in 2012, I came here as a journalist. So looking for a job as a journalist, you know, even from watching my TV, there was nobody uh, who was black, you know, being a news anchor. But I kept on trying, applying. And once I realized nobody was calling me, I realized that it was time to change. So I went back to school and took my career in academic advising. Uh, certification in the University of Calgary and at that point I had worked uh, in a different organization for like one year you know working with the the underrepresented communities I'm talking about the indigenous people I'm talking about the black people I'm talking about people who have accents people who have weird names that Mm -hmm. are not necessarily Caucasian names so Uh, Some of the things that I realized from that role was that there's need for more. There's need for um, uh, representation out here, for people to be served well 
regardless of their background. So that led me to start a capability career group where we currently do uh, mostly career and academic advising. Um, we help people with job search services, such as resume writing, cover letter writing, interviewing skills, networking skills, branding skills. I get excited when I talk about this because to <laughs> me, this is not a job. And then on the other side, we also have our workplace services where we train organizations on skills of diversity and inclusion. Uh, and like you know, as a woman, our representation in the workplace to date is not still where it's supposed to be. Women in Canada are still lagging behind in terms of leadership, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm passionate about those things. And those are missions that are greater than me. So I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be here doing it. Yes, you're doing very, very important work. Um, we're, we're going to talk more about, I feel like this, these two things I want to talk to you about go hand in hand yes. because your company is called Capability Career Group and yes. you have a book and your <laughs> book is called Capable You. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about your book and all the magic that's inside because I've, I'm in the process of reading it and I just think it's so important especially for women. Yes. So Lisa, I wrote this book in 2015. I don't think I've ever shared that with you. And it was at a moment in my life where I'm in a new country and everything is falling apart. I'd been to Kenya and uh, uh, I remember my brothers and my mom sitting down with me and saying, you don't have to go back if it's not very good down there. You can stay here. But then I said, I have to go back. So when I came back, it was so tough, the year 2015. And uh, I remember being so down, so down to the point that I was talking to a friend in Kenya, my, my best friend, Lillian. And she said, Evelyn, you have done so much. You have inspired so many souls. I'm really, really heartbroken to see you lost and, you know, not knowing what to do. There was a situation going on. I might not be able to share it right now. But then um, she said, you are one person who has kept on inspiring people. Right now, people don't know what's going on in your life, but they're still looking up to you. So I remember coming from that conversation and I'm like, okay, despite what is happening now, I've always been a capable woman. I've always been able to excel in each and everything that I do. And with that excellence came along various people that were able to help me. And in that time, my family was there 100%. So then I figured out that I'm gonna write a book to get out of my bed from sleeping every day. You know, I will not even open my window I think I was in depression but being mm -hmm. a black woman I didn't even know I was depressed because depression is not a thing in Africa yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> not spoken of so much yes it's it's not a thing in Africa and it's it's not something that we talk about in my community but coming to think of it I was really depressed for months so I started writing this book and this book was mainly highlighting the success that I had in the modeling world and uh, the success that I had in inspiring young people in Kenya. Mm -hmm. 
So then I was, I used that experience and knowledge to remind people that, okay, first of all, we are all capable. You don't have to be logically capable for you to know that you're capable. You could be artistically capable. You could be linguistically capable. You know, capability is so wide. So in that book, I remind people that, yes, you're capable. How can you know your capabilities? So we go through the steps of doing that. And after you know your capabilities, how can you build that capability? Uh, your your abilities to make you somebody that people can turn to for help or somebody who can be able to fix a few, you know, be it social issues, environmental issues. And then from there, I think what I like about this book the most is it puts emphasis on relationships. Mm. Coming from Kenya, I I am the fifth born and the first born girl. So I came as a really, really expected kid. Like people were like, we re- my parents were like, we really, really need a girl. <laughs> they were waiting. Yeah. So the girl showed up and my brothers were so happy. So I, I grew up in that sort of love bubble. Mm-hmm. I've not known anything besides that. And uh, that's the also picture that I saw with my neighbors growing up in Kenya. And that gave me the knowledge that I could do anything. Because I could remember as old as five years old, I'm coming from Sunday school and uh, there's this song I have in my mind. I'm like, daddy, I'm going to sing you a song that we sang at the Sunday school. And my dad is like, okay. So I'm like standing there. He's my audience. Then I start singing. I start singing. Before I know it, He's called all my siblings, all the eight of them. (laughs) And all of them had to stand there singing with me. I remember my teenage brothers the following day were so pissed off. They were like, you cannot go to daddy and start doing your girl things. Then daddy calls us to come. But when I look at it, I see a father who was saying, here is a stage for you, my girl. Mm. do it I don't care how you sing but just sing and I want other people to join in that journey so naturally my siblings have been able to join me in my in my journey and I've had friends friends who've gone above and beyond be it people who are praying for me be it people who are you know when I was in the Miss World house there's a woman from my city who sent 10 pairs of shoes for me in the house. Yes. So I put emphasis on relationships because sometimes we think we can do it by ourselves. Kudos to those who can, but we can do much more. with So much more. Yeah. So much more. That's what our community is based on, how we are so much stronger together, especially as women. Yes. when we support each other and lift each other up and, and why, why do it alone? If we don't have to, yes, the we men don't, don't do it alone. They got their old boys club. Like they, Definitely. they and they, <laughs> and they've got us behind them. Oh like yes. So many times they have, um, like the support if they, of their family at home, oftentimes, mm-hmm. yes. um, the ladies are barefoot and pregnant, so to speak, but 
um, they have those supports. And I think it's changing. Like, mm-hmm. I think those, those gender roles are slowly starting to change. Mm-hmm. It is so very slow. Yes. Um, and I, I do think that it is there's still the challenge if, if women are having babies and they're missing time off work, oftentimes though, it's not, obviously you're getting a gift, you're getting a child. It's a beautiful thing. And sometimes women choose not to go back to work, but for the ones that want to advance in their career, we do have those extra little challenges of being away from work and then starting Mm -hmm. over and and leaving and coming back. And Mm -hmm. so I think that we need to change the narrative. And instead of seeing that as a setback, we, we link arms and, uh, and support each other. I I completely agree, Lisa. I, I completely agree with you a thousand percent because (laughs) you, you're looking at a situation where a man and a woman, they come together and they make a baby, but then you find a situation where a woman is being punished for having a baby a man progresses career-wise. So a woman is now left in a situation where they have to choose between the two. I say they don't have to choose between Mm -hmm. the two. A woman can be anything she wants to be at any time she wants to be when uh, in any style she wants to be it, you know? And uh, our government has a mandate to provide those infrastructure to enable that. And I know one of the things is like childcare. Childcare is such a big deal for women in, in Canada, you know, where a woman looks at their monthly income and what they're spending on, on childcare and they don't see how that makes sense. It's like you're working for childcare. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we're getting better and, um, we still need much. We still need much in terms of policy and infrastructure from the government for sure. Yeah. There's a long way to go. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you do at capability career group and how you help people advance um, both people who are coming to you for help and then companies who need the help. Okay, definitely. So we have, three, actually three, four banners in capability career groups. So we have the career and academic development. We have the diversity and belonging. We have the youth leadership and women leadership. So the career and academic advising. So first with academic advising, I do not believe that a child, um, a teenager should go through university and take general courses. It's a waste of your money. It's a waste of your time, their time, and it demotivates them from being the most capable human beings they can be. The moment a child is taking general courses, it means they do not know what their skills are and they do not know how they can focus those skills. So yes. So do how, do we, is- how do we find out? Because um, <laughs> I was one of those kids and I completely agree. Like I have a bachelor of arts in English. That was my yeah. very first degree. And yeah. because what the hell did I want to do? I didn't know I was 18 years old. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Still, still learning by the way, at 40, um, because it can change, but how do you help um, someone in that position avoid the general arts route? So we basically do an assessment and this assessment is very interesting because it focuses on a child's interest. Mm -hmm. 
their skills, their values. And um, so interest, skills, values. Yes, three things. So with that, we are able to do an assessment of about uh, 180 questions. From that 180 questions, they are able to get a report that shows them where their skills, interests, and abilities can be placed in various careers in society. Most of the times, a minimum of 70. <laughs> yes, wow. most of the times, a minimum of 70. And we find this assessment very, very interesting because sometimes we think that somebody who is doing art cannot do sciences, but that's not the truth. That is a, um, a false narrative coming from the school system where a child is struggling to understand sciences in class, they're not performing well in it, then we assume that they can't do well in it. What we don't put into consideration is that perhaps we are teaching this child science through writing, but they're a visual learner mm -hmm. or they are an action learner. They wanna do it, they learn through doing it. So we find that when people do our assessment, they're like, oh my God, I never thought I could be a psychologist. I never thought I could be a doctor and stuff like that. So when somebody has those options beforehand, before they go to school, when they get into class, they, got, they get there with confidence, knowing that I can do it. Because what makes people do general courses is basically the doubt. They're like, oh, can I shine in this? Is this even possible? But if they see that I, I did this assessment by myself and this is the report that I got from the assessment, this is what I can do, then they get more motivated. Yeah, the so you're parents, getting the confidence behind it. Yes, the parent ends up not wasting more money and not losing their mind because their kid is not... <laughs> losing the mind is like the biggest one there yeah because even if you have that I mean all education is better than no education in my mind I I'm a big lifelong learner uh but the thing is after after the arts degree I had to go and get another degree because yeah. well what am I going to do with that right mm -hmm. so it does it it just it saves time energy effort and then also when you're taking that general arts you're, you're kind of all over the place. Yes. So if you can zone it in on what you're good at, what you're interested in, yes. it avoids those classes that you might not, you Why? might not sign up for because you're, that's not for me. That's not the route I'm going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so we do that. And then when we come to career development, of course, these students and they're when they are in year three, they have to go through, you know, finding a job and all that. So that now we take them through professional branding. What would, okay, you, you are in university, you've now majored in accountancy. How can you market yourself as an accountant? So building LinkedIn profiles, showing them how an accountant dress, dresses up. Yeah. How an accountant, you know, um, carry themselves out on a regular basis. Accountants have to be honest. They have to be very keen. You know, those are not some of the skills. They're skills that people are taught at the university, but generally not all. How accountants market themselves. 
This is interesting because we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our community and maybe listening. Um, And it's funny because we think of branding from a company perspective and marketing from a business, like from you had your small business, you need a brand, you need to market it, but we need to do this for our own personal selves as well. Right. It starts from you. And it's actually easier when it starts from you. Like I know right now I'm, I'm really working on my rebranding coming from a modeling world. And now I'm like, Oh, professional, you know? So I prefer being an author, being um, a business woman, you know, or a CEO. Sometimes you just do not know which title to go with, but I just call myself an entrepreneur. And then if somebody wants to add all the other titles, they can add those. Because if you call me a CEO, it doesn't cut it all. An entrepreneur, I can be an author entrepreneur, right? Yeah. As an entrepreneur, I can be a CEO. So understanding those tiny little, little aspects of personal branding makes a very big difference for uh, both the job seekers, the students, and also uh, people who run businesses. So we also take them through how to write a better resume how to shine in your interviews. So those skills of communications, you know, and then, you know, we we take them through how to go about networking, you know, getting to know other people um, in your profession beyond the people that you know. So that is career and development for diversity, inclusion and belonging. So this 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 is where my passion is at the moment because of the realities that we have around us, you know. The world is changing like in in the moment, right? Changing and every organization, every entrepreneur has to be aware of what is going on around us. And like last week we, we we're dealing with a with a discovery of 215, mm. you know, grave of residential school children. It's it's really, really disturbing and um I remember sharing that and people did not know about that information that there are graves around our country. You know, we've not even gone to Tyrell Island. We've not even covered Lake Superior where majority of these deaths happened. So what we do in this program is to kind of remind the employers that they have a responsibility. It is their duty to be aware of all these changes that are happening around us and uh, encouraging them to read, to read, read, read. I know of Canadians who have not read the, uh, the Truth Reconciliation Report that came out in 2015. It's been out there for six years. I know of Canadians who have not read the Racism Act. It's been there since 2017. And we cannot wait and say that, oh, I was not taught this in school. Right now, it's more about erase your responsibility. It's your due diligence to do that, to have this information, to know that you could have employees that are discriminating against themselves because the question is not, you know, right now employers are saying that, okay, I already have a diverse team. I do not need training on diversity and inclusion. 
So then my question is, how do you know that your diverse team are working harmoniously? Because the more diverse people you bring together, the more the heads are going to knock each other, the more court cases you're looking <laughs> at the possibility <laughs> of being filed against you as an employer or your, your employees in the farm. And that is one thing that employers have to remember that you could have like black people in the, in the, in the, in the team. You could have Indians, but remember every place comes with their own levels of discrimination. Let's mm -hmm. go to India, for example. Yes. We have caste. Mm -hmm. We have people who put themselves in various classes. We think that those, the moment they leave India and come to, to Canada, all that's going to mm -hmm. change like that. No, it doesn't change. They still belong in their caste. And mentally, they've been trained to believe those castes to the point that I've met people who come from lower caste that have had to remind various times of how capable they are, of how amazing they are, of how people should not put, you know, labels on them. And I've also seen those who come from higher castes who think that they are the boss. They, they the ones who come from higher caste kind of behave like the slave owners mm -hmm. and the lower caste kind of feel like they have an obligation to act as slaves. So think about that as an employer. That's happening in your company behind scenes. You have no idea for you. You're just thinking, oh, I already have a diverse team. So I'm good. So Eve, where, if there's a business owner or a small business startup who's looking to have this as something that is always going to be in their company mm -hmm. that they want to um, be conscious of, yep. where do they start? What's the first step? Like they can't just say, oh, well, when I look around, I see diversity. Yes. What, what is, where do they lead them? Like how, how would you tell them where to start with that? My approach, even before you bring diversity, into the workplace, take the diversity training courses. At Capability Career Groups, we have uh, 12 courses around diversity and inclusion. So we have unconscious bias. We have um, diverse recruiting, diverse retaining. We have skills of inclusive conversations. We have racism and other forms of discrimination amongst others. And so educate, they, they need to educate themselves. Yes, they need to educate themselves. There are two hour courses, uh, they're paid per person. So I say educate yourself first to get the skills because it's from the education that they are able to find tools that helps them to reform the policies that could be discriminative in an organization. Because as of today, we know that this is, this is a truth. No organization today can say that our systems are inclusive. We know that the systems have been discriminative from you know, the small corner shop next to your house to the highest government building in this country. So we, we have to realize that there's a change of policy required there. Once you change your policies, now you're bringing in people in a clean environment. Now, when these people come in, now they also go through the trainings that are 
completely geared towards employees, their behavior, what is expected in the society. Because what we saw with discrimination for many years, people didn't talk about it. We didn't want to talk about, we, we, we keep on saying Canada is not a racist country. I'm like, we are a racist country. We are a country that has a history of genocide. Don't call that genocide that we saw last week dark past. When you call it a dark past, you are taking the name out of it. And the moment you take a name out of something, you fail to recognize it. Then fixing it is going to be a problem because to you, it does not exist. So call things as they are. And it goes back to what I normally tell people. Don't tell me as a Black woman that you don't see color. That is actually an insult to me. You are actually literally eliminating me in, in my presence. So you're having a conversation like, or people say, I don't see color. You don't see color. It means you're not seeing me. Like you're eliminating me completely. Like I'm right there talking to you. See color, because when you see color, you'll be able to see race. When you see racism, you'll be able to understand the situations that people who come from the minority groups, they have to deal with every single day. And that's where we have a problem with the First Nations. We've called them First Nations. We've called them Indians. We've called them Aboriginals. All those names, the fact that we don't have one name for them tells you that we continue to eliminate them from our minds. If so you have it. milk, you know, if, if, if you're buying milk, you call it milk. Milk is milk everywhere, right? Yes, All the yes. time. Why have these groups' names continues to change over the years? It's an elimination strategy. So don't eliminate me. <laughs> and it's been happening with the Black people as well. You know, sometimes they call us Black. They wake up the following day, we are African-Canadians or African-Americans. Or we woke up the other day and we are Africans. I'm like, uh-uh. The Caucasians remain Caucasian whether it rains or shines or snows. Why do this other group keep on changing? It's a elimination strategy. And we have to be aware of those things happening around us. And because if we're not, we cannot make changes, Lisa. So much learning to do. So much learning to do. And it's, it's a kind of a learning. I'm at a point where I've been doing this work since last year in, in May. And I'm like, at this point, based on the conversations we've had, it's no longer acceptable that somebody comes and say, oh my God, I didn't know that was happening. Uh -uh. We have Google. If you really want to know so much out here, you will know it. Yes. The, the University of Google can teach us so many things. <laughs> I know. It's not always the best university ever. It but can, it can lead you down a dark hole sometimes, but there's yes. no excuse for, for not trying to learn. Yes. Yes, I agree. Not, not at the moment, not at the moment, because, you know, back in the days, uh, all this propaganda against uh, the minority groups succeeded because people only had one media, media house hearing the news, and that was the only source of information. Right now, you even have I love Gen Zers and millennials. Oh my God, these people, they they're bringing you information as it's happening live. And 
there is no excuse anymore to say that. I don't know about that. It looks bad on the person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, Lisa, but no. it, it looks terrible. It looks terrible on an adult saying that I don't understand that because when I'm speaking to seven-year-olds, they already know that nobody should be discriminated against based on their race, based on their color, or even based on the fact that, you know, somebody once called them savages, you know. Kids yes. know that that is kids, It's crazy how kids can be a shining example because they're, they're born so unbiased, yes. right? They're born so pure and they just, kids see love until someone tells them otherwise. We, we have a little bit of bias. I agree with you there, but we also have a little bit of bias. Like when we talk about unconscious bias, we are all biased and our biases starts from childhood. But this is the difference. Our biases is as a result of us carrying a 2000 old brain that we inherited from our ancestors mm -hmm. who lived mostly in the bushes and had to fight with animals. So the biases that they had that discriminated against anything that did not look like them was used to protect them against the animals, wild animals. Like a little kid had to know that this is a lion. This is not my friend. Mm -hmm. so I have to back off. Also, when they see a lion, they're like, oh, get out of here. You're not like ourselves, right? But now here we are with a 2000 old brain moving around the streets of Calgary. There are no lions to be afraid of. No, the only thing we see is somebody whose skin doesn't look like mine and the ancestral brain kicks danger. And that's how discrimination comes in. <laughs> and the kids, you know, even when they're like a few months old, they already know like by age month four, month five, they already know who their mother is. And sometimes you could just be sitting there, and, you know, they could be having even guests and people are speaking and they're just looking at you. And if somebody tries to take them, they're like, uh-uh, danger. <laughs> the ancestral brain comes in again and says danger. And so the biases are okay. I normally say biases are okay. We need to ask ourselves, when am I using my bias? And that's where now retraining the mind comes in, mm. where you have to tell your mind that, okay, I know you're seeing a black woman. That doesn't really necessarily mean danger. They're good people. Once you start to do that, and this is what I had to do to myself after living in Canada for three years and started experiencing racism and all that, I had to retrain myself to love Caucasian people. I grew up loving Caucasian people. In Africa, we're not taught about racism. Mm -hmm. nobody, it doesn't exist. So nobody teaches us even about slavery. We've never, we were never taught about it. So when I came to Canada, I came with, you know, it's just gonna be like Kenya. Girl, my surprise. <laughs> not quite Kenya. <laughs> no, the Kenya, I, I, was, I was ready for the cold, you know, the difference in weather. But the people, I just never expected it. 
So, but then I had to retrain myself. I, I had to remind myself that, oh, okay, you've been to an interview, you've been discriminated against and it's been open and wide or you've worked somewhere and this and this has happened. But humans are different. Humans are not just hurting you because they want to hurt you. I started to remind my brain that, oh, somebody is having a day. Somebody, it's not acceptable to do that though, but it was upon me to do the work Mm -hmm. so that I can be able to sit here today with you, Lisa, and smile to you like I would my true sister and connect to you like that. If, If I didn't do that work, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking to you today. Well, I'm so glad that you've done it and that you're helping others to do it, which is huge. Um, because when we use our own personal experiences to help others do better, be better, that's where the important, amazing work comes in. And that's where the magic happens. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a couple of our wine, women and well-being questions now. Are you ready? Yes, let's do this. If you could sit down with one woman living or dead, who would you like to have a conversation with? <laughs> that would be my grandmother. I, I never got to meet her, but uh, from the relationship that she had with my, oh, with my dad, mm. I, I, feel, I feel like um, she must have been somebody really, really wise. She was a teacher, I know for sure. She was like a community teacher. My grandfather was a teacher as well. And I want to sit down with my grandmother to see if she thinks the way I do. Because sometimes I look at myself and this is not out of pride. I feel like I'm from, like the way I see things is not always the way people see them. And I don't understand why. Like being a black woman, it was so difficult for me to hate, uh, for example, Donald Trump. Hmm. Yes, it was so difficult for me to hate. And every- well, actually, a lot of people hated him very easily in your defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and for for some reason, I did not agree with his policies. I did not agree with anything he did, but I still did not hate him. Hmm. It was so difficult for me to find a, you know, a reason. Like I see, like the way I see the world, like when somebody is struggling and being mean and all that, I kind of draw towards them and I want to show them more love and more compassion. And I'm realizing that the world around me does not operate like that. Not everyone is that empathetic for sure. And when I, when I try to have these conversations with people and the people go like, you, you really, really, <laughs> you really, really like Trump? I'm like, I don't hear him. So what's the diff- What's the opposite? And then now the question becomes, do you love him? And then I'm like, why should I hate him? I, I don't, I don't see I, reason. I see somebody who is struggling with, with the relationships, with, things how they talk how 
which is the reality of all humanity, if you ask me. Yes. So you're coming at it from you. You're coming at it from a place of heart where you want to help him be a better person, which is exactly what you do in the world, which makes sense. And we need more people like you. So, so you're saying that you, you would like to see if your grandmother had those traits. Yes. Yes. Cause, cause I know I was named after uh, my, my dad kind of gave me pet names that went along with her. So, and in my culture, like, the whole story of uh, being born again comes from the fact that if somebody is dead, then a child is born and named after them. So mm-hmm. I, tra- I struggle with wondering if my personality, my abilities, my, my compassion, as you put it, is related to the woman she was and how she navigated the world around her because being having so much empathy also means that you're a target to be used (laughs) by other people which have experienced as well and when that happens then you get so shattered you're like why did they do that because you're looking at yourself and you're like I would never do this to somebody why did they do this to me Mm -hmm. and you struggle like how do I go about this so that's the reason I would want to meet my my granny okay what is your go-to well-being or self-care practice? Ooh, Lisa, <laughs> whoever made the bathtub, God bless him or her. <laughs> me too, me too, 100%. Oh my God, nothing, nothing works best like a bathtub. <laughs> a good old soaking. Yes, it just solves things, right? Things, problems go away in the tub. They just wash off. And I'm surprised most women don't do that. Like, it's like, you're the only woman I've spoken to who actually loves a bath. Do you most know? Go like, I don't have the time. I'm like, that's the reason you need to do it. Especially for me in the winter, because I hate being cold. Yeah. But I would say in the winter months, even though like in the morning, I'm very privileged. We have like full water here happening in Canada. Uh, but even if I have a shower in the morning to go to work at night, when I'm cold and I've had a long day and I'm just tired, just get me in that tub almost every night. Love me a bubble bath. So every I'm right there with you, girl. Tub. Every yes. woman needs a tub. Give us your favorite book or podcast recommendation. Wow. Girl, that's going to be a lot of stuff. (laughs) I used to say book, but then someone told me, well, I'm more of a podcast listener than I am a reader. So now I'm asking for book or podcast. So this is interesting because of late I found myself for years. I listened to Joel Austin. Okay. Joel Austin is an American um, tele-evangelist. I listen like they there is no message that Joel Austin doesn't have. You know, if you're feeling low, there's something for you. He's more of a, he's, he's like a preacher, but he also uses his words to encourage people, which I think is what I do. So we kind of attract each other. So that's my podcast for sure. Okay. There's something I might want to share with people. There's... um this app called Blinkist. So Blinkist has like uh, books put in um, audio forms. 
for 15 minutes, you can read a book. Oh, somebody told me about this. Yes. I've heard about this. I haven't used it myself yet, though. Oh, my God. It's amazing. And right now. But how does it get to be 15 minutes? They just summarize the whole book? Yes, but it's quite small. It's still the same because I've, I've compared the, the, the audios with some of the books that I have. And it's kind of like the same. So since, since, uh, since the first week of May to, to date, mm-hmm. I've read 99 books. Lisa. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and just for anyone listening, we're recording this on the last day of May. Yes. Um, so one month. Yes. 99 books. Because it's so interesting. You just want more and more and more and more. And even though they have it in audio, they also have the books. You know, they they, they did the paper form that you can go and read it if you want to read. Brilliant. Wow. So I'm reading Blinkist and I'm reading everything. Good. <laughs> because <laughs> knowledge is power. <laughs> Absolutely. Lifelong learners over here. Yes. Okay, Eve, what does sisterhood mean to you? Oh God. And I think of sisterhood, I'm thinking about my community in Kenya, mm. how I see women come together to raise money on a weekly basis as low as money as low as $20. And you'll see them put that money together and they'll build an apartment to leave as an inheritance for their children. Mm. And that is a common thing. We call them the merry-go-rounds or chama yawanawake, Swahili word for women gatherings. So when I look at that, I see the holding hands from both ends, telling one another that we got each other. We don't have to be related to get each other spark. We are our womanhood is our relationship. So that holding of hands, that coming is- together. I love that. And I think it's beautiful. And I do think that um, here in North America, we can learn from your culture. Um, what those women do in Kenya, I think is amazing. And what I experienced when I was in Congo was that the, the word sister, they would say Marcel because they speak French. Yes. Um, the word sister is used just in a different way yes. than we use it here. And, mm-hmm. and here we have this, this history of women going against each other and we, <sighs> we call it like caddy and, and there was, and that's changing. Thank God for that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and women are supporting each other in a different way now. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But I remember when I got, um, when I got to Congo, someone said to me, oh, my sister's looking for work. Is it okay if I send her to you? Maybe she can help with the kids or maybe whatever. Right. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it took me Eve way too long to figure out that they were not blood sisters yes Yes. everyone was a sister yeah and just how as you know as the word mother like yes is not like you use that like at the end people would call me mama like my mom um because it's like a a sister a mother it's a term of respect and endearment and and I loved that about how 
women took care of each other. Yes. They really did it in a very different way. Yes. And that was a beautiful thing to witness, even as an outsider to be like, oh, they've got it right. We should make a trip to Kenya. We should make a trip to Kenya. I would be surprised. And what really encourages me is that these are women who perhaps only make $10 a day. Mm -hmm. But they are able to come together. No loans, no nothing. And they work so hard. They work so hard. It's not the men you see carrying the the buckets on their head. Nope. No, though, with a baby on their back. It's it's the African women. women. Yes. That's I normally say. If if hard work, if hard work meant that people should be billionaires, it is the African woman in the village. 100%. That deserves to be called a billionaire. But unfortunately, capitalism has not made that possible. (laughs) So we're going to go to Kenya together. That's what you're telling me. Oh, yes. Let's let's go to Kenya. I think I think I normally advise uh, women uh, who are struggling because sometimes we have conversations and uh, people don't understand. And I understand it's a cultural difference. I challenge women to travel. Mm. Travel to the countries that your countries have always reminded you that are poor, that are um, third world. There's a lot to learn from those countries than the poverty that you're shown on the media by organizations that are collecting a good portion of donations, but only ends up giving three to 7% to these people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn there. I completely agree with you. And I remember going to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And I remember my husband and I culturally grew up the same, both Canadians. Mm -hmm. And we saw the commercials on TV. Never in a million years did either of us think we would be going there with our children. Mm -hmm. And then when, when we were living in Congo, we we were in Ethiopia and we thought, oh, Ethiopia is actually way nicer than where we're currently living. <laughs> we were like, Ethiopia has really got a lot of infrastructure here compared to where we, the city that we were living in, in Congo. And yeah. we were like, funny how your worldview yeah. can shift. And I'm, yes. yes, I'm a big advocate for travel and what we get from it and what we can learn from it. Uh, don't even get me started on that. But yes. I think that's the best education a person can get. Yeah, it's better than watching on TV or, you know, just go, just go and connect with a woman. Find my mother. Talk <laughs> to my mother about, my mother is, I don't know what that woman can't do. <laughs> She'll do everything like, oh, mom, my stomach is aching. Oh, she just go behind the house and she has medication. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, how did you know about this? But that beauty of even healing ourselves from the earth, you know, healing ourselves, you know, we str- in North America, we have, you know, mental health. You go to a place like Africa where you'd expect people to be stressed out because they don't have lots of material wealth, but they're not. No. But you look at their lifestyle, 
the way they carry themselves, how they do their things. Like, you know, I may not have television set in my house, but I know that every Wednesday I'm going to meet with my fellow sisters and we share a meal and we collect funds. And sometimes that funds can be used to buy sugar and everybody carries a kg of sugar to their house. That right there is how you heal mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. They're doing it well in Africa. Community. Community. It's community. You You need community. You need your sisters. Oh, we need that, Lisa. I am hoping we can we can have like I've always had like this vision of maybe Calgary having like a place where women can meet, where they don't have to have the obligation for paying. They don't feel like they have to come, you know, people show up there, but we don't care what car you drive. We just want you to come there and maybe we can dance or sing and Mm -hmm. eat. I don't know. This is what women do in Africa. I miss that. <laughs> yeah, they, they've got the community thing down for sure. The last question I'm going to ask you is what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Mm, 16-year-old self. The places you'll go. <laughs> oh, the places your long legs will take you. Lisa, you've never met me, right? So mm, I am this long-legged woman. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait till we're go- allowed to go out. Oh, the see your long legs. Oh, oh, the places your long legs will take you. And I say, believe in yourself more. You know, dad, li- dad dying is just a stepping stone to so many things. Don't hurt over it. You know, mourn your dad, but also remember there's hope because in you, your parents have invested a lot. And oh, 16 year old Akini, Aboka, just chill. Mm. Chill, girl. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and your sisterhood. Thank you very much, Lisa. This okay. is wonderful. We'll see you soon. I'm so happy to have you as part of our community. And I'm very excited for the big things we're going to do together. Definitely. Me too. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to us changing the world one, one sisterhood step at a time. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.